we ask you would help us to take the practical steps that we need not to be distracted. But at the same time, Almighty God, we realize that we're doing a spiritual activity and the devil is very active and he will want us to be distracted. So as we endeavor ourselves, we ask that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would help us. Help us not to be distracted. Help us now as we come to your word. May you lead us and guide us. May you uphold us and strengthen us. As we think of what your word is saying to us, may your Holy Spirit make it clear. May your Holy Spirit be with each one of us, meeting us at our point of need. May you help us to have teachable spirits. May you help us to have open and soft hearts. May you really be with each and every one of us as we gather around your word now. Almighty God, may we not just do this as an academic exercise, but may you, O Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, touch our hearts and our lives in a special way this morning. And I plead with you, Almighty God, that you would enable me to be able to say what you would have us to hear from your word this morning. Keep me from going off on wrong tangents. Keep me from saying things that are not in the word. Help me, O Lord God. Enable me through the power of your spirit, through the unction of your spirit, to proclaim your word clearly, precisely, and to your glory. And Almighty God, as that is done, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bless it to our hearts and our lives, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. So, as I said earlier, we're in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are about the spiritual gifts. Uh, chapter 12 is sort of setting out the theory, if you like it, the practical aspects of what the gifts are. Chapter 13 is underlining the essential nature of love between it all and how that fixes it and pulls it all together in the right way. And then chapter 14 is looking at the practical application of spiritual gifts in everyday church life. Now, as you remember, the, the Corinthians in this chapter 14, as it starts, were told to pursue love. And, and that links it with chapter 13, and chapter 13 spills into chapter 14. And, and any spiritual gifts that are used within the, the church family, within church life, need to be done in the context of love. And so the Corinthians were told to pursue love. And, and the application is exactly the same for us. As a church, we should be pursuing love. This is straightforward. It's a timeless principle to church life. And if you go through the previous chapters of 1 Corinthians, you'll see many different problems that this church had. And all those problems would have been resolved if love was central to their situation. And I'm sure that the problems and the challenges that we have as a church would evaporate if we were truly, truly pursuing love as we should be. But then the verse goes on and says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now we have to remember the context. And the context was this was the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians some 2,000 years ago before the whole of the canon of scriptures was given to them. It was a time when the church foundation was being set by the apostles and the prophets. 
And so the application of these principles was different for them. Clearly and very straightforwardly, for the Corinthians, they were to desire spiritual gifts and especially to desire prophecy. Now that's the application for the Corinthians. There and then, those 2,000 years ago, they were to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And that links very much with uh, chapter 12 and at the beginning of it. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be unaware. Spiritual gifts were important in the life of the church. And so Paul is building on that. And he's saying to the Corinthians, you need to desire these gifts. But you are to especially desire prophecy. Now, a few weeks ago, we were looking at this whole subject of prophecy. And we are looking at the subject of apostles. And we were seeing from God's Word that the role of the apostle and prophet, that Old Testament, New Testament role of the prophet, and that Old Testament, New Testament role of the, well, the New Testament role of the apostle is no longer relevant. It is no longer needed. That is the revelatory and authoritative gift of prophecy is no longer needed because we have God's Word. And so if anyone is saying that they are bringing something extra to God's Word, we can say, no, that's not right. Now, does that mean that people don't have impressions of what could be happening in the future, and, and people can add, add value in that situation, that, that can happen. I'm not discounting that. But what I am saying emphatically from God's Word is Scripture is complete, and there is no more need for that Old Testament, New Testament prophecy that was authoritative and revelatory, like God's Word being spoken, like the Bible being given. And so that means we are left with a question. And we're left with this question, what does that mean for us now? Because the Corinthians were told quite clearly there that you need to desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And, and we realize that that prophecy that they would have thought of then, that they would have known then in the New Testament context, is no longer applicable for us now. So what we need to do is work a bit harder. We need to understand why Paul was telling them that this prophecy should be earnestly desired. In verses 2 to 5, and we went through them a, a few weeks ago, was contrasting prophecy to tongues. And prophecy built up. Prophecy allowed the church to grow because it was understood. But tongues didn't build the church up because tongues were not understood. Tongues didn't build up the church family. There is example and situation where it may be a blessing to an individual, but if the individual themselves doesn't understand it, then there's a problem. And so Paul is saying to them then, prophecy is important. Because prophecy is how God speaks to the church. Prophecy is how God builds the church up. But tongues don't. And so the passage clearly, clearly teaches that, that, that spiritual gifts are to be used for the building up 
of the church. We saw that in chapter 12. We, we saw that clearly as a principle. And so the spiritual gifts that are used to be building up the church, that's why Paul was telling the Corinthians to desire prophecy and not to go after tongues. That's why he said in verse 18 of this chapter 14, nevertheless in a church, and this is Paul who says he spoke tongues more than any of them. You could say he's boasting a little bit there, but hopefully, truthfully, righteously. But he's saying, I speak more than any of you, but nevertheless, verse 18, in a church I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct than 10,000 words in a tongue. So prophecy was important then, and prophecy was the example that Paul was using because he was contrasting it with tongues. Tongues were not building up. Prophecy was building up. Prophecy could build up because it was understood. Tongues didn't build up because it was not understood. And, and so there's this key principle of pursuing love, and then pursuing love in the building up of the church. That's what this passage is really speaking to us now, is God's church needs to be a church that is going after, earnestly designed, pursuing love, yes? And then pursuing the building up of the church. And so we, we saw this in verses 6 to 25, and he, Paul is developing this thought of pursuing love and building up the church, and he's contrasting tongues and contrasting it with prophecy. And we came to this statement that all communication in, in corporate worship, when we gather together like this, it must be clear. Corporate worship in a church is a place where people have to engage both their minds and their spirits. Tongues just engages spirit. And people don't know what's happening and don't know what's being said. And, and their mind is not being edified, so they are not being built up. And, and Paul is saying to them, look, when you are worshiping together, when you are together in a church community, in corporate worship, everything must be clear and understood. And as we carry on, we'll see how he sets out how everything needs to be done in order. But what he's first of all working on is the fact that their communication needs to be understood. We are to worship in spirit and truth. And, and yes, there is an element of our worship that needs to be supernatural. Yes, there is an element of our worship which needs our heart and our spirit to connect. Yes, there is a great need for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives. But the way the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our lives is through our minds. And that's what's been said here. And the tongues that were being used and abused then were not engaging the mind. Truth is verbally communicated. That's how we learn truth. You don't feel truth, do you? Truth is, is, is an absolute. That's, that's unfashionable nowadays, but it is an absolute. Truth can be declared. Truth can be heard. Truth could be understood. Truth affects the mind. And the effect of the truth on the mind, the effect of biblical truth on the mind, is the fruit of the Spirit. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, how do those things come about? Do they come about mystically out of some sort of experience? No, they come out of the truth being seared onto our consciences through the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. This is what he's saying is important to them. As a church, when you come together, your minds need to be engaged. As a church, as you come together, you need to understand what is going on. As a church, when you come together, you need to be worshipping in spirit and in truth. And, and, and tragically, what was happening so much then is there was so much concentrating on the spirit and on the spiritual gift, and particularly on the gift of tongues, they were missing out. They were missing out on the truth. And it's the truth that was going to build them up. And that's why he turns around to them in verse 20 and tells them, quite frankly, to grow up. That they're not growing spiritually. That they're not growing up as they should be because they're just focusing on tongues. And what they needed was the truth that would come from prophecy. And so as we develop this and, and come into this, the, the first heading that I want to bring to you sort of anew, because the ones we've just been going through uh, are the ones that have been sort of gone over in the last few weeks, but I needed to set the scene. And, and, and what I want to say now from these verses 20 through to uh, 25, and, and the first point is this, that the Corinthian tongues do not build up. Or we could say the Corinthian tongues did not build up. And we see that from verses 20 to 21. Now let, let's, let, let's follow this through, what Paul is saying to them. For from the entire chapter so far, Paul is driving the conclusion that the Corinthians need to grow up. That they are spiritually childish and immature because of their regard to the use of tongues. We, we see from the context, we see from what is going on here, is they were obsessed with speaking in tongues. And, and so Paul is saying, you're actually spiritually childish. You're spiritually childish and immature to the regard of the use of tongues. And they were thinking that tongues were so important. But the reality of this all-importance to speak in unintelligible words, as the passage says, was doing them no good at all. They, they were naive, naively rejecting the very thing which would do them good. The very thing that would do them good as a church and build them up was intelligent words, words that they could understand. And what they were going after was a whole load of gobbledygook that they didn't understand. And that what was not understood wasn't able to build them up. And as they weren't being built up, they weren't growing. They weren't maturing. And Paul is saying to them, you need to grow up. You, you need, to, you need to, to grow up. And, and for them then, what they needed was the higher gifts. And we saw the higher gifts in the end of chapter 12, where it says in chapter 12, uh, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. 
And we're thinking then that the higher gifts were the gifts that spoke into the life of the church so that they could grow. And for the Corinthians right then, what they needed was prophecy to grow. They needed to grow up out of using the gifts incorrectly. And, and, and when we looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, we saw that so much of today's church needs to grow up as well. And, and what can so often happen is we can chase after the unintelligible, yeah? At the expense of the intelligible. Or, or, or maybe put it like this, we can, we can be chasing after a spiritual experience rather than hearing from God's Word what He has to say. Last week, my driver got very excited as we were traveling from the airport to the church I was going to. And he said, Pastor, Pastor, look, there's the golden dome. A 100,000-seater church, which people were flocking to. And what were they flocking to for? An experience. That they weren't flocking to hear God's Word from the Bible. That they were flocking to have an experience. And, and, and speaking to some people who were part of that congregation, who worshipped there, would explain what went on. And, and there was all manner of things that were there designed to please and to entertain and to draw people in and to give people a great experience. But the truth that was needed wasn't proclaimed. And I'm sure if Paul was writing to them, he'd be saying exactly the same. What you need is the truth of God's Word. And, and the church needs to grow up. And we need to ask ourselves the same question. Maybe we are here today for the wrong reasons. Maybe you are here because, well, the selfie on the steps means that your parents will continue to send your allowance. Maybe you're here today because you think that's going to make you pass your exams. Maybe you think that if you're here today, God will protect you from the immigration police. I please God on Sunday. He takes care of me in the week. Maybe we're here today because it actually makes you feel good for the week. None of those reasons are why you should be here. All those reasons are missing what church should really be about. We should be hearing God speak to us. And God speaks to us through his word. You see, Paul in verse 21 goes back to the law and goes back to history to make his point. And it can seem a little bit obscure because suddenly he quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah 28 and verse 11. And it reads like this. For by a people of strange lips with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people to whom he said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is response, and yet they would not hear. And we can think, Paul, have you lost your mind? You're talking, and then you suddenly bring that in? What is going on here? And sometimes we have to work at scriptures and wrestle with it and find out what's happening. This is very similar to the prophecy in Deuteronomy 28. And it's interesting, isn't it? Isaiah 28, and then Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. 
And the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the ends of the earth, sweeping down like eagles, a nation whose language you do not understand. Friends, Israel refused to listen to God's message proclaimed by his prophets. They didn't listen to it. They didn't want it. And Isaiah predicted that another messenger would come. And this message would be delivered in actions and carried out by people with a strange and foreign tongue that the Israelites would not understand. And it happened. And if you go to 2 Kings chapter 17, you can read about what happened. And in verse 28, it says, Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he'd spoken by his servants the prophets. And so Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. The foreign tongues of the Syrians symboled God's rejection of his people and sending them into exile. We could still say, well, Paul, what's this got to do with the Corinthians? What's this got to do with their situation? They're not in exile. What's going on? Well, I think what we've got here is Paul is making the point that the foreign tongues of the Assyrians was not a blessing. It was a punitive sign. It was aggressive sign. It was a sign to Israel of what had taken place. And Paul is saying foreign tongues used in corporate worship like the Corinthians were using them. Yes, we have to see that. Foreign tongues used in corporate worship, the gift of tongues used in corporate worship like the Corinthians was using was not a blessing to the church. They were not understanding. They were not being built up. And the church, just like under the time of the foreign-speaking Assyrians, had been taken into captivity, a place far from spiritual blessings. And the Corinthians' tongue-speaking was holding them in captivity and holding them in a place of spiritual immaturity. The church was not growing. The church was held captive. This is tragic, isn't it? Because the spiritual gifts of tongues in that moment in time had a purpose, and it had a reason. And yet the Corinthians were were doing it in a wrong way. And then the Corinthians were doing it in a way that was holding them captive. And the Corinthians were doing it in a way where they weren't being built up. And the Corinthians were doing it in a way where they lost the spiritual blessing. And and friends, as, as we look at this, and as we think about what we see so much of what called is tongues nowadays, we have to say the same. Tragically, so much of what called, is called tongues now is holding believers, is holding Christians captive in a place of spiritual immaturity. Because the spiritual gift was never for the building up of believers unless it was translated. And he goes on and says, translate it, interpret it. It'll be a blessing. But when you've seen tongues done nowadays, 
And I'm sure you've been into church situations where tongues are happening. And everyone is babbling in tongues. And there is no translation. And there is no interpretation. And it's not as God told the Corinthians to do it. Tragically. That spiritual gift is holding people captive in a place of spiritual immaturity. And I think we could almost step it up a bit further. And as I said when we went through chapter 12, at the very beginning, spiritual gifts can be faked. And so much of what is called tongues nowadays is people faking something that is not real. And in their faking something that is not real, they're being held captive and they're not maturing. Because God wants his church to be built up. And his church will not be built up by gobbledygook. It'll be built up by his word. That's his promise. And, and, and so this is what's going on. And, and so you see this, we could say it like this, a, a spiritual emotional high doesn't build up. Going to a, a church on a Sunday and hearing a great performance and being moved to tears by the music and the light and the sound does not build up. But learning more about God does. God's Word speaking into your life builds you up. Muttering in tongues for hours on end, friends, doesn't build you up. God's Word says so. Now, if you have an understanding of what you're doing, then you could argue that you are being built up. But generally speaking, most of the folk that I've spoken to, when they say they speak in tongues, they have no idea what they're saying. And yes, there may be some therapeutic psychological blessing to it. And there's been studies done because those types of tongues are tongues that have done across different religions of the world. And psychologists say there may be a blessing in your mind psychology just to do that. But it's not building you up spiritually. It's not building you up as God wants you to be built up. Spiritual tongues does not make you Christ-like. That may sound like blasphemy to some of you. But the reality is Christ never spoke in tongues. There's no record of Christ speaking in tongues. And speaking in tongues doesn't make you Christ-like. It doesn't build you up. But bearing the fruit of the Spirit does make you Christ-like. And to bear the fruit of the Spirit, what do you need? Yes, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But you need the truth of God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit to take hold of your heart and your mind and change you. But muttering gobbledygook isn't going to do that. It's just not there. And so Paul was telling these Corinthians, yes, you are a gifted church, but your application of tongues is not building up. And the primary end of spiritual gifts is to build up. And they were getting it wrong. And then he carries on. And the second point we see, and there's only two this morning, so don't worry. The second point is, the Corinthians' tongues do not win the lost. So they do not build up, and they do not win the lost. And we're seeing this particularly from verses 22 
to 25. We've seen in past sermons, we've seen from the Scriptures that New Testament tongues were real languages. They had to be real languages because they could be understood. Now, some of these were real languages from this world, and there is inference that some of these are real heavenly or spiritual languages, yeah? We, 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 we don't need to worry about that too much. What we do need to remember is they are real languages. They can be understood. Not necessarily by the person speaking to them, but they need to be understood. And, and the first examples of tongues recorded were known languages. There were known languages spoke miraculously by people who had not learned those languages. Pastor Phil speaks Turkish. And sometimes Pastor Phil may think it's a miracle that he speaks Turkish. But actual fact, is a lot of hard work. Many years of hard work, sweating at it, working at it. And he speaks Turkish, yeah? Now, now if... Someone has just came to Cyprus, and, 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 and Heath, I'm using you as an example, so forgive me. He's just come. He's never learned Turkish. We might, anyway, I'm using you. And suddenly he speaks Turkish, yeah? That's the gift of tongues. That's what happened in Acts. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. When the apostles there were waiting for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and there was that rushing wind and the tongues of fire. And then what happened, there was a sign to the Jews that were around that God was working. And in some ways, it could be argued that the second fulfilling of this passage in Isaiah 28 happened then as well. But we'll leave that for discussions later this evening if you want. But what I want to, to focus on here is what was going on. In Acts 2, the tongues are evidence to the unbelieving Jews at Pentecost. And in Acts 2, what happened? There were thousands of people converted and brought into the church. The tongues were used through the Holy Spirit to reach out to the lost. And these lost Jews, who were the very ones involved in crucifying Christ, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Can you imagine? They may have been in the crowd shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And Peter, that untrained fisherman, was preaching and speaking, and they could understand him. His language was working, and the languages of others were working, and they were cut to their heart, and they saw their sin, and they called upon the name of the Lord, and they were saved. And then in Acts 8, it was evidence that the believing Jews had the Spirit. It was evidence to the believing Jews that the Spirit had come upon the Samaritans. The Samaritans were there. They, they, they came, they, they, they heard the gospel. God worked, and they were speaking in tongues. And the tongues that they spoke were understood because people knew what they were saying. They were praising God. And then in Acts 10, it's the evidence that the Spirit had come upon the Gentiles. And they spoke in tongues, and these tongues were going out. And we can see that these tongues were being used in that setting and in that environment for the gospel to spread and for the lost to be brought in. And a similar situation happened later in the last mention in Acts, is Acts 8, 19. And there was these 12 Ephesian men, and it's when they received the Spirit. And so these situations were signs and there were signs for the unbeliever, and it's what God used to reach unconverted people. 
And it's what God used to show unconverted people and converted people that God had made them right and, and there'd been a change. And, and so Paul says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And you see, the original function of tongues in Acts was for outreach. And the original function of prophecy was for the building up of believers. But, but in Corinth, the way the tongues was being used was not helping reaching the lost. Because Paul goes on to explain what was going on. He said, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and the outsider or the unbeliever enters, what are they going to think? They're going to think that they are out of their minds. And so this very thing that originally was used to draw people into the kingdom, the very thing that God was using to establish and build the church was being abused by these Corinthians. Abused because of their pride. Abused because of their ego. Abused because of what they thought it meant. And, and, and Paul says right at the beginning, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be uninformed. It could well be that they were uninformed. It could well be that they didn't realize this was going on. It could well be that as they heard this, they were cut to their hearts when they realized the mess that they were in. The very thing that God used and gave to the early church to reach out to the lost is not being used in that way. And it's not being used to build up the church. And it was causing an obstacle to the lost. The unbelievers, the unconverted, were coming into the church at Corinth, and it was like going back to the Tower of Babel. It was like going to Mount Carmel and seeing the prophets dancing around, shouting, gibbering, talking. I mean, friends, I've seen this happen on this island. I've seen this happen in services where there is a whole massive cocktail of noise going on and a Cypriot or a Turkish-looking person has walked in the back and looked around. And do you know what they've done? They've gone out. Because they cannot understand what is going on. And quite frankly, what is going on shouldn't be going on. Because this pattern, as set out in God's Word, is not being adhered to. Babel was used to separate people, wasn't it? Pentecost was used to draw people back in. And yet this church at Corinth was going back to Babel because all these people were just speaking, 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 speaking. No one was being built up. And when the unconverted came in, when the unbeliever came in, they just looked around and said, these are a bunch of nutters. Why am I going to stay here? What example and what witness is this? And the tongues that the Corinthians were using, the, the way the Corinthians were using the tongues would never reach the unbeliever for the Lord. And they thought they were doing something great. They thought they were somebody great because they could speak in tongues. Speak in tongues of men and angels. And the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying to them, look, you got this wrong. 
You need to get this right. At best, they were speaking for their own edification. But, but tragically, what they were doing was they were stopping the spread of the gospel. And confusion ruled. And the gospel lost out. Now, 2,000 years ago, the way a non-believer is converted is the same way as a believer is edified and built up. And that is with, a, with the superior gift of prophecy. Verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters and is convicted by all and is called to account by all and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Friends, this is what should be happening. This is what should have been happening at Corinth. There shouldn't have been a whole hubbub of noise of tongues. What there should have been is people proclaiming God's word, bringing God's message to the people. That's what the prophet was doing then. The prophet was declaring, thus says the Lord. And as they proclaimed the message of God, the unbeliever's heart would have been opened and they would have been convicted and they would have fallen on their face and they would have worshipped the Lord. For a sinner to come to faith, they need to intellectually engage with the truth. It's the way. It's the way that God has prescribed. Yes, there's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit going on alongside that. But the way God uses is for the truth to engage with the heart. And the truth needs to be understood. And then the first part of that is, the first step is conviction of sin. Jesus said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come. He would leave them. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would come. And in John 16, when he's talking to his disciples about this, when he's encouraging them, he says the Holy Spirit will come in verse 8. And he says, and when he comes, he will enable everyone to speak in tongues and dance beautifully. That's not what it says, is it? It doesn't even say anything about spiritual gifts there. Spiritual gifts are real and important, friends. Don't get me wrong. But when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Friends, salvation is not a feeling or an emotion. Salvation is faith in a fact. And we have to intellectually comprehend it. And it's something that happens in both our head and our heart. And yes, we need the Holy Spirit because it's not going to happen without the Holy Spirit. But we need our mind and we need the truth putting into our minds. And that's what church should be about. Not an experience. Church should be God's truth proclaimed. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would take that truth and make it a part of the lives of us all here today. Salvation is not a feeling or an emotion. It's a fact that we have to intellectually comprehend and we can through the Holy Spirit. We need to see our great need. Friends, have you seen your great need? Do you realize that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Do you realize that you've offended the creator and the owner of the world? Do you realize that you are not even that big in the sight of this awesome God? And yet your sin is as wicked as you possibly could imagine. And it's offended him. And God's righteousness 
demands that your sin is judged justly. And God's righteousness fuels His holy anger and His wrath. And God's anger and wrath at this moment in time is on pause. Can you imagine that? God's got a pause button on His anger and wrath. Because if that button was off, we'd all be consumed and without hope. And so whilst it is on pause, God's wrath is going to come and it is going to get poured out on sinners. And the judgment is coming. And salvation is not an emotion thinking, oh, I'm saved. Salvation is believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins. Salvation is realizing that on that moment, on the cross, the wrath of God that you deserve for your sins was poured out on God, on Jesus, sorry, by God. God the Son was taking the punishment. God the Son, Christ himself, was taking the judgment that we deserve on himself. And Christ, in return for taking our sin, gives us his righteousness. Can you imagine? Those of you here that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as God looks on you now, he sees you without sin. He sees you perfect in Christ. Christ's righteousness has been given to you. And that is salvation. That's not a feeling. That's facts. Now those facts can bring about a feeling. Those facts can make us rejoice. Those facts can give us a joy of salvation. But it's the facts that we need. It's the Holy Spirit we need to make those facts real and alive in our life and enable us to call upon the name of the Lord. And so... Verse 24 says, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted. Why does he say all prophesy? He's contrasting all prophesying with all speaking in tongues, yeah? He's not advocating all prophesy in that situation. He's saying if they all did. And this is what would happen. This is why it's important. This is why the intellectual side is, is, is of absolute importance. Because the person is convicted. And, and, and they're called to accounts. And the secrets of their hearts are disclosed. And so they fall on their face and he will worship God and declare God is really among you. Now, now we could get excited and say, right, what we need is prophecy. We need some of this in the church now. We need some of this. We, we need people to, to be convicted by all. We need people to be called account by all. We need the secrets of the heart to be disclosed. We need people to fall on their face and worship God. That's what we need. So therefore, we need prophecy. The Corinthians need prophecy because that's the time they were living in. We don't need any new revelation. We do need God's Word preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That is what we desperately, desperately need. And that's what this passage is teaching us. Hebrews 4 says it like this in verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrows, discerning the thoughts and the attentions of the heart. Oh, we want the secrets of their hearts to be disclosed. God's Word does it. Let's have faith in God's Word. 
This is living. This is what we need. This is what should be proclaimed. This is why we are unashamedly Protestant and say God's word is central to what we do. Friends, dancing around and shouting in tongues is not going to save the lost. And it's not going to build up believers. That's what God's word says. If you want to argue that, you argue against God's word. We need to plead that the Holy Spirit will work through God's word. We need to plead that God will bring the gift of saving grace. We need to plead that the Lord will bring the gift of grace working in the lives and hearts of us so that we can be built up. But I fear a lot of what is called worship today is totally inaccessible to the unbeliever. And and, and I'm desperately upset that much of what is called worship on this island will not build up the believer. You might have an emotional high for that service. You might go out feeling a buzzer with your ears ringing, but you're not going to go out changed. The only way we go out change is when God's Word is taken by the Holy Spirit and it engages with our heart and it changes our minds and it makes us more Christ-like. You know, I'm angry when I see so-called spiritual gifts used to abuse God's children used to gain control, used to manipulate, used to gain wealth. None of that is the building up of the church. None of that is the reaching out to the lost. And that's where it goes wrong. But as a church, we do desperately need the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit that are relevant to us now. We need preachers and teachers. We need those who are within the church family who have discernment and love and compassion. We need people who will help on the tech and help on the door. We are all needed. But what we don't need is a service that is so full of emotion that you come out thinking, what have I learned? And you've learned nothing of the majesty of God. You've learned nothing of the wonder of the Son. And you've not experienced the true power of the Spirit. And this, friends, is so important because it's a matter of eternity. And so in pursuing love, are we doing it for our own satisfaction? Or are we doing it for God's glory? And we should do well to ask ourselves a question as a church, Do our services connect with the unconverted? Are you praying that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of the blind week by week? And and do our services connect with believers and build up? And we should be praying that the Holy Spirit uses our services and uses God's Word being preached to, to build up the believers. Because if it's not, if that's not happening, it's just superficial. It's just on an emotional level. And friends, we are nothing more than clanging cymbals. Or worse still, we are nothing. And so we have to take this serious. 
And so friends, I want to give you a few moments to, to think and pray over what you've heard and see how it applies to your own uh, individual uh, situation.